Have you ever experienced a great time of worship when you really feel like the Spirit has moved in your midst and your spirit has been uplifted only for someone to come along and say or do something that makes you go, why did you do that? You just kind of killed the mood of, the, of what the Spirit has been doing. Well, every pastor has experienced that at some point. I, I know I'm not alone in that. Uh, maybe just finished preaching, seeing God at work, moving in people's heart, and then somebody comes up and says, Pastor, that church building was just too cold this morning. I just couldn't even, I couldn't get into the spirit of worship. Or so-and-so was supposed to order material for me for me to teach my Sunday school class next week, and they forgot to do so, and so can you go and, and make sure that gets done? And you're just like, wait, what is, what is going on here? The spirit was moving. The emotions were doing well. But all of a sudden, everything comes to a halt. Or I've experienced this before, where you have a great morning of worship, and then that evening's business meeting, you think everything's going to go nice and smooth, and then you get into business meeting, and it ends up being contentious. Well, today in our passage, we find that that is nothing new. That is something that has been taking place at least since biblical times. In fact, we see it takes place with Jesus physically present in the room. And so I think Jesus here has a word of encouragement for us today. And being Mother's Day, we get to look at this great example of a woman leading in worship. Now, maybe you've never experienced what I'm talking about because you are the church curmudgeon. You're the grumpy Gus who always has to come at the end of the service and, and you know, bring, bring it down to reality, I suppose. But I think Jesus has a word for you, too. So let's look at what happens in Mark chapter 14. But before we do, let's take a moment to go to the Lord once more in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this morning, the opportunity we have to study your word together. Lord God, I pray that as we study this, you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our wills, that we would understand what you're trying to tell us or teach us. And Lord God, that you would transform us by the power of your word proclaimed. Lord, may your spirit go out amongst your people. May your spirit go out to those that are here this morning who may not yet have confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. May you draw people Let's begin in Mark chapter 14 in verse number 1. After two days, it was the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a treacherous way to arrest and kill him, that is Jesus. Not during the festival, they said, or there may be rioting among the people. While he, that is Jesus, was in Bethany at the house of Simon, who had a serious skin disease or leprosy. As he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of pure and expensive fragrant oil of nard. She broke the jar and poured it on Jesus' head. The first thing I want us to see this morning is this beautiful demonstration of beautiful worship. See, this section begins with the plotting 
of the Jewish leadership to secure Jesus' death. And it sets a somber tone for our story. In fact, the way Mark has positioned this story is it's between the, the attempt to, or the, the initial planning of, hey, we want to arrest and kill Jesus, and then we have our story, and then if you look to the next section, it's when Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' 12 trusted disciples, decides to betray Jesus. So, these leaders, they, they're trying to decide, should we kill him now and, and persecute him? Uh, but they decided not to until after the Passover festival. So when does this event take place? Well, this is just before, a couple of days before, the Last Supper. And Jesus would pour out his, the wine and the bread and say, take and drink of this, for it is my blood, and take and eat of this, for it is my body. It is broken and spilled out for you. Jesus knew what was about to happen. But here, this takes place just before this. And so he's in Bethany. Now, Bethany was a place that was familiar to Jesus and his disciples. It was the home of his friend Lazarus. It was the home of Mary and Martha. It was a place where Jesus had raised Lazarus up from the dead. In fact, Bethany is located just outside of Jerusalem, literally about two miles outside of Jerusalem. It's on the southern slope of the Mount of Olives. So Jesus resided with his friends in Bethany for most of his time of the week leading up to his crucifixion. That gave him easy access to go into Jerusalem without actually having to stay in Jerusalem. Well, one night, Jesus and his disciples were at Simon's house. Now, we don't know much about Simon, but he's called Simon the leper, Simon who had a skin disease. But Jesus had healed Simon of his skin disease. It seems that maybe Simon was having some kind of celebratory dinner for him. And like most Baptists, if we're going to celebrate, we're going to have a meal. We had one this morning for our ladies as we celebrated them. And so they're reclining at this table, and the way that the tables were in that time was they weren't our traditional tables with our chairs, they were rows. So they're all sitting here eating. And while Jesus is reclined and eating at the table, enjoying this fellowship meal with those whom he had healed, this woman approached him. And what happens next is so significant that Matthew, Mark, and John all record what happened. And there's some debate over Luke's, uh, was this the same situation or was this a different because the details are a little uh, a little off, but John gives us a few more details of what happens in this particular story. We find that the woman who approached Jesus was his friend Mary, as in Mary and Martha. And Mary approached him carrying this alabaster jar, and inside of this jar is what the Bible calls nard. Well, what is nard? That doesn't sound pleasant, right? Nard is actually an, an aromatic oil that's derived from a plant in the Himalayan mountains. And so for them, it had to have been imported from Nepal or China or India. In fact, Mark says that this bottle was very expensive, as you can imagine, if it has to be imported in that time. In fact, he says that this bottle was worth almost a normal person's annual salary. So it's super expensive. 
But what does Mary do with this nard? Well, she goes and she breaks the jar. She pours all of the contents of this nard on Jesus. In breaking the jar, we see an incredible act of extravagance on Mary's part. She held nothing back. She broke the jar and poured it all out on Jesus. And she poured everything she had into the worship of Jesus. And this act of absurd extravagance was received by Jesus for what it was. An unselfish act of love and devotion. Mary demonstrated that Jesus deserves our best. He deserves everything that we have. And the more we love Jesus, the more we want to show it to Jesus by offering him our all. Now, I don't know about you, but I often want to hold back the best for myself. I say, God, I can't give you the best of my time because I have to work for my family, so all my time is spent at work, or I'm, I'm going to school, and I have to do my studies. I can't give you the best of my finances because I also have to provide for my family, and I like stuff, and so I want to make sure that I have stuff that makes my life more convenient. I can't give you the best of my heart because that means I can't have the best of myself to myself. Well, Mary shows that the heart of a true worshiper is one that gives Jesus their best, gives Jesus their all. But people have trouble with this kind of service. People have trouble with such extravagant worship. And most of the time, it's not the people that you expect. It's not the people who are outside of the church looking in and going, that's weird. They just think it's weird and move on. But people inside the church are oftentimes the harshest critics. Look with me at verse number 4. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this fragrant oil been wasted? For this oil might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they began to scold her. So we see the condemnation of Judah Boy. She's condemned because of her act of worship. Mark says that they were expressing indignation at this act. The word that Mark used there in the Greek describes the feelings, these intense feelings toward Mary of being angry to the point of being violent. They weren't just a little upset. They weren't just a little frustrated. They were downright mad that she was using this oil in such a way. So just who were these people? Well, in true church fashion, Mark doesn't tell us. He leaves us anonymous here. There were some over there that were causing problems. Listen, if anyone ever approaches me as pastor and says, some people have been saying, we don't like this, I'm going to assume that that some people is you, because if it's not named, I don't know who it is. But once again, John gives us some more details. 
He identifies that it was Judas Iscariot, specifically, who was concerned with the way this money was being spent. He was concerned about the waste or the misuse of such expensive perfume because, you know, money matters a little bit too much to some people. They'll be fine if you use money for the way that they want it to be used, but once you start using money for ways that they don't want it to be used, then they start getting mad and start to raise a stink. And Well, Judas didn't agree with how Mary was using this perfume, and so he began to complain, and he riled up the other disciples to follow him in this. And so he says, well, this could have been used for the poor. Well, we, it's easy for us to overlook that. What does that mean? Why, why is he bringing in the poor? Is it just that he wants to take care of the poor? The mention here of the poor was a natural thing for the time period of Passover. See, it was custom for the Jews in the evenings of Passover to go and to give to the poor, to provide for them to be able to, to experience the Passover. So it seems like a good reason. It seems like a godly reason to be upset. But it seems that John tells us the story of Judas's real motivation. He says, John tells us that he wanted the money to be set aside to go into the purse that would go to the poor. And the reason for that was because Judas was taking out of the purse. He wanted that money to go in there so he could swindle some of it out. He wasn't going to get anything from Mary's act of worship. Now, we may be quick to condemn Judas, and I think we're right to do so. That's definitely wrong. But don't think that church members don't do the exact same thing. In my first church as a vocational minister, I was a youth and music leader, and uh, the pastor decided that we should have a block party uh, for back to school, and we were going to give... Uh, uh, we rented a block party trailer that had inflatables. It had games for the kids. We had uh, cooked hot dogs and hamburgers to give to those who came. Uh, and for anyone who came with school-age kids, we had backpacks with the church logo printed on them that were full of school supplies that we'd give to them as they got ready to go to school. It was a great time. We had a great time of, of worship, great time of visiting and outreach in the community. We had a great time of meeting the needs of our community. But, a few months later, someone began to grumble in business meetings about the block party being a waste of funds. Why? Because months later, they had seen proof come of that. The number of people in the community who had started attending church at this church because of the block party was exactly zero. Nobody who had been at the block party came to the church. And so they began to complain. The church began to complain. And a few months later, the pastor was asked to leave the church. And one of the reasons that was brought up was poor stewardship, poor financial planning because of that stinking block party. So we need to be careful condemning Judas on this. No doubt, no doubt what he did was wrong. But 
some of us also tend to do what is wrong. Beautiful worship is demonstrated in sacrificial service. Outreach, efforts to the community is not our goal to get people into this church. It's to get the gospel into their hearts. It's to share with them the love of God. To share with them the message that Jesus came to earth. God in the flesh. And he died for your sins. And he was buried for three days. And then he rose up from the grave by the power of God on the third day to provide for all of us salvation as we call upon his name. Outreach efforts are not about getting people in the church. It's about getting Christ into the community. So while extravagant acts of worship may look like a waste to the world and to those who are focused on the financial side of things, you must see these acts through God's eyes. You must see what Jesus sees. And and what does Jesus see in Mary's acts? Look with me at verse 6. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. And so we see Jesus gives a commendation, a commendation of her beautiful worship. He immediately rebukes the disciples who were causing this stink about this misuse of funds. He says, lay off of her. And rather than rebuking her, he rebukes them. And he praises her and says they should be praising her because of this great act of worship toward Jesus. This great act of service toward his body. And so if you're the grumpy Gus or you're the church curmudgeon that believes it's your job to step in and say, I don't think this is how God wants us to go because look at the finances. The finances tell us that this is not logical. Let this serve as a rebuke to you. Don't let your own worldly and self-centered concern disrupt acts of beautiful worship. For she has done a beautiful thing, he says. Now the word that is translated here as noble in the CSB or beautiful in the ESV. It's it's an interesting Greek word. It's multifaceted. It can be taken several different ways, as you can see already. It can mean beautiful. It can mean noble, which I I put forth to you, this is a beautiful act of worship. It is a noble act of service. But it could also mean better. It could also mean better. So it could mean that she has made the better choice, which it was. Jesus said that it was better that she chose to do this thing to him. It was better than the social action that they were concerned about. He says, the poor will always be with you. Now, we look at that and we think, well, that's an excuse, right? (laughs) We, We don't have to serve the poor because the poor are always with us. right? So we can just continue to do our own thing. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. The poor would always be needy. This is a call for constant awareness to realize that we need to have a a compassionate response toward the poor. We should not ignore the needs of people by focusing only on telling them the gospel. We shouldn't neglect the physical needs in favor of the spiritual needs. 
In fact, we better help meet spiritual needs than we meet physical needs. But we can't neglect the social side. Can't just reach the physical and neglect the gospel. And we can't just use the gospel and neglect the physical. They both have to work together. So what are some ways that you could do that? Well, we have this ministry house out back. Every Thursday, if you need something to do, you want a way to serve, we have some ladies that are over there that I'm sure would love some help. We have times when we give out food boxes. Charles is the one who's been heading that up. You can reach out to him and say, hey, I want to help with getting some food to some people so I can go tell them about the gospel. We have ways, we have methods that we can use to share and to meet the needs of the poor. But Jesus says, the poor will always be among you. I'm only going to be here for a short period of time. So, it's the better choice in this particular instance. But he also says it could be the more fitting choice. Mary's act of worship of Jesus was a better use of the perfume than social action because Jesus would not always be with them. But Mary's act was fitting for the occasion. Remember, Christ is near the time of his crucifixion. We're, we're two days out from the Lord's Supper, which is on a Thursday or Wednesday or so. And then that Friday is when he's crucified. We're near the crucifixion. But Jesus interpreted Mary's act of sacrifice as preparation, a fitting preparation for his death and his burial. Now, the motivation behind Mary's act was solely that she was loved, or that she loved God and that she was devoted to Christ. But Jesus used it as a reminder hey, I am about to go and die, and here you are fighting about this nard. He says, What she has done. She has done to prepare my body for burial. Perhaps this means that she did for Jesus what would normally not be done for one who's been tried and, and executed as a criminal. Uh, perhaps the prediction that there would not be an opportunity for them to anoint his body. Because remember, he dies right before the sun goes down. And when the sun goes down, the Sabbath starts. And so they can't do any work on the Sabbath. And so they, the women wait until has frustrated the opportunity to anoint his body, but isn't that so much better that he's alive instead? But he says she has done what she has been able. And for this, Jesus says, she will always be remembered. Look at verse 9. I assure you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of so we see it's a commemoration of Jesus' life. A commemoration. Now it seems strange, doesn't it, that this story should be told as a memorial to a woman who Mark does not name her name. Mark doesn't say that this was Mary. We find that from John. But the focus isn't on who she is. The focus is on what she has done. And pouring out the gift 
of nard, this perfume on Jesus' head, she proclaimed both his death and his resurrection. For Jesus indeed died in the likeness of a criminal. And Scripture says that his death was sufficient payment for the sin of the world. See, Scripture tells us that all Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died and was buried for three days and then rose from the grave on the third day to pay the penalty for our sin. And when he rose up from the grave, he verified and validated that his death was sufficient to pay the penalty for our sin. Mary's act of worship is in itself a proclamation of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, which must be proclaimed throughout all the world, Jesus says. It's going to be proclaimed all over. Wherever it's proclaimed, what she's done will be told. But Mary's beautiful act of worship shows her total commitment to Christ as Lord. She gave all that she had in total surrender to him. And though she was condemned because of it by even the followers of Christ, Jesus himself said, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but I look forward to the day when I stand before the Lord and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let me ask you this. There's two groups of people that are here today, people who have accepted Christ, people who have. 